Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Nico Franks and this week's episode comes from the fourth edition of European Film and TV Event Connext, which was held in the Belgian city of Ghent in early October. The three-day programme featured presentations and screenings of Flemish films and series, meetings with directors and producers, and plenty of networking opportunities with the Flemish audiovisual industry alongside the usual conference sessions. I caught up with two execs who made keynote addresses at the event to talk about the subjects they covered, demand for short-form content, and how the Nordic market continues to be at the forefront of TV's digital revolution. My name is Ricky Ennis, uh, and I'm heading reInvent Studios and also the streaming platform Not Alone. Hi, I'm Marianne Furevold Boland. I'm an executive producer at NRK Drama, the Norwegian Broadcasting Corporation. And you're both giving keynote addresses later today here at Connects. What are some of the topics that you're going to be covering? Ricky, you first. Well, some of the topics is first of all to explain why we founded reInvent Studios and how it, it really functions with the four legs, <coughs> which is packaging, international sales, finance and talent. So I'm going to speak a little bit about that. Some of the challenges uh, that we see in the market, but also opportunities. Uh, and then, of course, how we collaborate closely with the streaming platform and are trying to uh, get ready for the future. And Marianne, how about you? Well, I was also the producer of the uh, web drama Scum. So I'm actually going to talk about how uh, that came along and how we work with the research and insight and production and how we published it. I suppose the common theme between those is the way online is changing things and continues to change things, which is not a new story, obviously, but it's interesting seeing you know new companies um, like yours, Ricky, um, popping up. And you're specifically designed to kind of take a project from its very beginning right through to the end of its life you know distributing it as well so how does that process work I think what I was really missing a little bit before as a sales agent was to really get in contact with the content itself uh, and knowing everything about what what's working well internationally uh, then actually starting productions that could benefit uh, for this specific reason. So uh, it's like putting together a drama department with international sales. So one helped the other leg, you could say. Um, and I think, you know, it's just really about being flexible and agile and see an opportunity when it's there. Whether it's an amazing book that you just fall for uh, or whether it's a talent coming into the in, in the door and just, you know, grabbing that chance or a producer that needs help uh, with the financing. It's the flexibility that we try to uh, to add to a project. And you're building up a slate now and projects are coming to screens fairly soon, I imagine. Is there a kind of common theme between the projects that you, you're working on? Well, they're all Nordic. Uh, so you could say our tagline is uh, new Nordic content. Uh, and that's why you know we know about Nordic content and that's what we are very passionate about but you know it's not that you can have a specific genre that's what we're going for we know of course that Nordic Noir the crime shows they are the ones traveling still best internationally but we're very curious about different genres as well uh, dramedies uh, and even shorter formats and of course uh, knowing Scam uh, by the heart uh, this was an amazing thing to actually discover new and shorter formats it's all about storytelling and, and telling the good stories whatever format that means and as one of yeah, Scandinavia's most um, successful exports of recent years. So what have you learnt from the process of developing and distributing and, and then 
the, the new versions of scam that have been made, I think, in the US and France and elsewhere in Europe. Um, how are you using that experience to inform your what's coming through your pipeline at NRK? Well, <clears throat> mostly uh, we learn that we people are not uh, that uh, we are quite the same <laughs> regardless country, gender, age, and uh, culture and religion, and that says something about the stories that we develop as well. Uh, but it's in in one way it's. It's a bit sort of, it's amazing to sit here in 2019 and talking about the show that we produced in 2015 because everything has changed in so many ways. But it's still, as you said, Ricky, the goal goes down to telling a good story that feels authentic and relevant to your audience. So uh, uh, whether we find new platforms or whether we find new collaborations, we still have to find the good story. And regarding the other remakes all around the world, the universe, which is great. <laughs> And I think they have done a great job as well. Uh, it has been important for them to find the narrative and how to tell the story and what kinds of, of story within the essence of SCAM that feels authentic to their audience in 2019. And that we have learned a lot from as well. I suppose one of the, the things people have found tricky about short form is getting it commissioned can happen but then it's the distribution because obviously every broadcaster's platforms are slightly different but now more and more people are acquiring specifically for those platforms so has there been that shift now in terms of demand for short form content? I think that's actually quite interesting because there is a shift uh, and especially uh, since we have more digital platforms as well and of course broadcasters they have to go digital as well and not only Flow TV. There's a great demand uh, for these formats and also in terms of remake. Uh, we recently launched a hashtag as Entropa Sweden show that was just lying on the shelves pretty much since 2016. We revived it and now uh, I think we have five remakes uh, lined up and that just shows the appetite for great stories and again relevant themes in this case of uh, social bullying. See, I must say that uh, for me as a representative of NRK we have, are in a slightly great position because we have a platform that um, NRK TV that are not so into slots so we can create content for the audience in a more can I say original way than the traditional way of viewing a series, which is great for us. Mm. Mm. But that's it, it hasn't come that far uh, all over for the other broadcasters yet. So, but I hopefully it will. And Ricky, you're working on a, a streaming platform called Nut Alone. Uh, so tell me a bit about that and what it offers distributors and producers. So basically we started the initiative, it's a Centropa Trust Nordisk initiative together with me and my, my new company, uh, reInvent, and, and basically the idea is uh, to uh, support catalogs of films that are not getting sold to the world. So one big frustration as a sales agent and having been that for many years is the fact that you have amazing films that are not sold globally. Even though they travel to festivals, we sold it, let's say, to five, ten territories. So this is a way of activating uh, the films in the territories not sold due to a very simple DRM system. And then you as a rights holder or producer, whoever uploads the film, you get direct access to see who have seen your film data. You get the transaction right on your account uh, and you get some, of course, knowledge about 
what's going on about my film. <coughs> so you're really closing a little bit the gap. Um, and then, of course, there's the marketing tool uh, where you use film fans and promoters to activate and talk about your film. And they can not only talk about your film, they can actually embed a link from Not Alone so they can show it on their own website. So if you're a big Lars von Trier fan yourself and you have a website and a lot of friends and you want to chat about Lars von Trier, you can actually send links uh, or really you could say your audience can go to your website and screen a film of Lars von Trier straight at your website. And you're incentivated because you receive part of the, of the transactional fee. So that's, you could say, not alone in a nutshell. And so it's a, a TVOD uh, business model. It's a TVOD business, and I have to say the TVOD business as it is today is challenged for catalogue titles. Uh, but of course we're working on getting uh, a close collaboration with festivals, so we use the hype and the wave uh, that is on festivals to create attention. So in territories where that film is not sold, people can access and see the film anyhow. And then we will be working on new ways as well, AVOD and SVOD, and we'll be uh, also spending some time on making a white label solution in order to uh, give a, a cheaper infrastructure to already existing VOD platforms. So we don't really want to be seen as a VOD platform in itself, but more like a facilitator, making it easier to distribute European uh, films. And increasingly we're seeing those who are producing features and those who are making high-end TV kind of fishing in the same waters. Uh, d does not alone have a, an aspect geared towards series? Absolutely. I mean, um, as it is now, uh, you can we can show TV series, but it, it's a little bit complicated technical-wise, so we're working on that. But the idea is both to uh, have films and TV series. We have a beta version as we speak, so it's, it's there. It's not the most beautiful one in the world, but it's working and you can use it. But uh, I'm sure that when uh, version 2.0 comes out, it's going to be much better. So we're here in Ghent with scripted content from Flanders um, really in the spotlight. Uh, what are some of the things that you think are, are strong about the, the Flemish market at the moment? I'd wish that we could see more of mm. what is yes. happening in yes. this region. I think that uh, as a, on behalf of the Norwegian audience, we don't see as much good quality series from all from this part of Europe as we should. While Belgian drama may be hard to find in the Nordics, one territory where they are far easier to binge watch is the UK. That's because Walter Presents, the non-English language VOD service set up in partnership with broadcaster Channel 4, has acquired a plethora of Belgian dramas such as Clan, Rough Justice, Thirteen Commandments, Scratch My Back, Hotel Beau Chajour, and Tabula Rasa. Handily enough, Walter Itzelino, co-founder of Walter Presents, was in attendance in Ghent with news that the company had picked up yet another Belgian crime drama for its viewers. I began my chat with Walter by asking him what he thinks makes the Belgian market, where the service launched earlier this year, so distinct. It's interesting in the sense that, I mean, I don't know the Belgian market very much in that sense. I know the Belgian output and the quirks of their output, which is what led us to champion Belgium from the very beginning. So in, in a sense, I, I would say, in my mind, their market reflects their output, which is smart, clever, commercial, but also quite authored. And I think 
from my perspective, from my understanding of it, is that there's something at the core of the production structure and the funding model for it, which empowers producers slightly versus broadcasters, in the sense that producers are given a chunk of money um, with which they can then go to the broadcaster. The, the power is slightly tilted in favor of creativity, so that instead of going to the all-powerful commissioner begging them for the money that may or may not make your show, you go with funding and you say, I'm going to make this show, do you want in? And so I think it's a, it's quite a healthy. If it, if it's not necessarily tilted in front of the in, in in tilted in favor of the producer, at least it puts it on an equal footing, so that you buyer uh, are a, a more a, a keener when you listen to a pitch because you know that that show is going to be made and you may lose it. And you've acquired a couple of shows from Belgium in the past, and you've got one well, coming dozens up. Dozens of it. <laughs> <laughs> we, I would say, if there's, in, in all honesty, if there is a territory that Water Presents can claim without any vanity to genuinely own, culturally and editorially, it's Belgium. I think we've always had an incredible affinity to the country, literally to the place itself, Ghent here, Antwerp, and it's, it's chic and small and very curated and... and uh, and quite modest about its achievement. So we've embraced Belgium in quite a big way and I think that we got it to a place where last year, for us was actually quite an important year like that, where Mark Lawson wrote a big piece for The Guardian saying, is Belgian noir the new noir? And it was great for us, because the new scandal noir, because we, we had positioned the entire output of a country in that big mainstream British way. And I was sort of mulling this with, with uh, my colleague earlier this morning, and it's the Belgian noir has got many more shades of colour than just black, <laughs> because it is, it is quite kaleidoscopic in that way, do you know what I mean? Because it's funny and, and humorous and dark and nostalgic and quite poetic, and so I think it's consistently brilliant output. I would say the, the, uh, the high bit for us was 13 Commandments, which last year was our highest streaming show. And again, if you think, and we were privileged enough, and that's how our relationship with VTM and now VTM Go consolidated, is we launched it before them. So we had acquired that show when it was just roughly assembling because we fell in love with it. And then we were in a position to launch it before, and VTM uh, gave us permission to do that. So that was very exciting that we world premiere a Belgian show, which then became, and again, you know, it's our highest rater of the year. And it's dark, it's sometimes slow in its pace, um, but it's very, very authored. And I was surprised to what level mainstream Channel 4 audiences embrace that. So that was the high point. So what's the next Belgian show that you're going to be taking? So we talked about Belgian past, which for us climaxed with 13 Commandments last year. I think we should briefly mention Belgian present because we've only just men uh, launched 10 days ago, Beau Sejour, uh, Hotel Beau Sejour, uh, on Channel 4, and it's now our highest streamer of the month. It's number four in the highest streamers for all drama, including English-speaking on all four. So a lot of people are watching and loving Beau Sejour, which again, is quite, it's not an obvious, it's quite quirky. Sort of young girl having to investigate her own death. It's quite slightly supernatural, but uh, it resonates a lot with Channel 4, so it's doing really, really well. And uh, the exclusive announcement is that we bought an incredibly brilliant Belgian show called The Twelve. I saw it for the first time here last year where it was mentioned as a sort of uh, in production I saw a uh, trailer for it and, and we're going to have a screening this afternoon of the first or first couple of episodes. It's a wonderful, wonderful psychological thriller in a kind of Twelve Angry Men in that there's a jury uh, that are uh, tasked with uh, deciding uh, whether 
a woman who might have killed two people is a, cult, is a, um, a murderer or not. But, it, but it's very interesting because in a very authored way, each episode is sold through the point of view of one different member of the jury and who all have things to hide. So at some point, it's the trial is a trial on the jury itself as opposed to the murderer. It's a very beautiful, beautiful thriller. I think it will do incredibly well. And we're launching it next year. We just acquired it now from Federation. And Walter Presents has gone from, obviously, when you were first beginning, you were uh, taking... Uh, rights to finish shows um, whereas now as, as the market's got more competitive and there are more and more people looking for non-English language content you've had to come in earlier and earlier so what stage are you now coming into projects? We are literally at script level but it has to be said and this is an important thing because we're not co-producers as such it's, it would be an unfair thing to say we are sort of more like deficit funding and I would say that the, strategically what matters producers and creatives and distributors come to us even though they know that our check is not the biggest check in the world but they know that we can help position a show very early on so whether it's to help unlock some media funding to know that there's a British broadcaster and there's a presence in the US and now a presence um, in Australia and Italy and Belgium so it sometimes helps to have some critical territories ticked off with a brand that's now reputable in terms of its quality and so I, I think we bring something to the table but but the real weight we bring is our reputation rather than the check if I'm honest. You recently acquired your first Russian drama over the summer that was The Sect and you mentioned that was a country that you wanted to acquire a show from for a long time and then you found it. Um, what's the next country or region that you'd like to find a new show from? Very good question. Uh, so we're always on the lookout. We, I wanted to crack uh, uh, Japan for a long time and we got a Japanese show and now the next target might well be Africa. There's a lot of production that's happening there, both locally and also for international channels. And so it's co-production going on, which uses the best of the local talent, but in the context of productions that have an international flavour. So my eyes are on that. And you've been fairly outspoken about uh, kind of trends in the international drama space. Um, wanting broad broadcasters and commissioners to be bolder and uh, kind of obviously you watch so much programming so you're going to pick up on certain tropes certain things like missing children and I think you mentioned uh, beautiful forests and damaged detectives in the past being quite common are you seeing things shift a bit or are you still seeing a certain degree of kind of um, similarities a question that almost leads to a controversial answer. The reality, the commercial reality is crime of a certain type, therefore the missing girl, oh boy, the damage detective and the forest are still largely very, very commercial. Sometimes there's angst in the industry at our level in terms of producers, distributors and makers because we kind of go, oh, but we've seen that, we've been there. But the truth is they still overwhelmingly rage. So there's a strong financial and commercial case for that being still a big tranche of what's been made. Having said that, I think that more and more both Scandinavian countries, but also countries like Italy, actually, which I never thought I was going to say, are starting to experiment. So for every two or three more conventional, you know, the tropes you were discussing type dramas, they then risk. You know, DR has been recently making very interesting and, uh, and unusual shows. And we were often talking about the relaunch of Danish drama with something like Liberty and Ride Upon the Storm, which are very unconventional about religion and morality and, and neo-colonialism. So I think... Uh, uh, most and the same for Italy. Italy balances very well, Rai in particular, an interesting slate which is the traditional Italian wholesome detective with the Ferrante novels co-produced with HBO 
Rio and 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 Sky working on pieces about Gaddafi. So I think that they, I think that broadcasters know and understand, and I think that's smart. It's happening now that your core still needs to deliver the millions of viewers that you need, but that you die if you don't renew yourself. So for every three standard hit shows, you need to risk one and have the wild one, the wild card, because otherwise you're never going to find the new genres. And a lot of broadcasters I speak to are keen to gather the family together for shows. I think having seen the success Netflix has had with shows like Stranger Things that are multi-generational, broadcasters are now trying to find those big shows that can get everyone around the TV at the same time, which is not an easy task. Are those kinds of shows of interest to you, or would the fact that they're sub inevitably going to be subtitled is that going to be too much of a barrier to a family audience no I'd say never say never I, there's no show that I'm not interested in I think that it is a challenge and I understand broadcasters who say we need to grab the grandchild the grandmother and the dog in the middle because you just you need a family unit the, the risk with that is that you bland out a proposition uh, but in the in the end it's all about writing and good concepts I think that you know I I haven't yet encountered a very warm mainstream family show that would work on Walter Presents because our shows tend to have a slightly more cable sensibility if I'm honest however having said that some big hits that we've had over the past couple of years come from TFN and TFN is like BBC One so they are very solid crime thrillers and they are they have a gentler tone to them and they do incredibly well both on Channel 4 and on Walter Presents so I'm entirely open to that. So the markets where Walter Presents is available in uh, the UK the US mm -hmm. Italy mm -hmm. Belgium mm -hmm. and Australia. Correct. Where else are you planning to launch? There's a couple of markets that will be literally announced very, very soon, which are a sort of uh, addition and extension of the ones that you just named. Uh, and then there's uh, more European territories we're looking at right now. We're in advanced conversations with a couple of them, but I can't say anything. And how are you finding that, because Walter Presents is quite flexible in terms of in the UK, it's an ABOD model, mm -hmm. in the US there's the partnership with PBS mm -hmm. and it's also SVOD. How are you finding that develop? And obviously with the incoming arrival of things like Disney Plus and Apple TV Plus, how do you expect people's um, appetite for more VOD services changing? It is very complex because the ecosystem is going to be is already very crowded and it will become even more so. I, I'm a great believer in curation, though I always have been, and I think that most of these um, big services that are launching, the Disney Plus and the Apples, are all vying for the same thing. So they're all, in different ways, they're all being supermarkets because they want to service a massive global audience. And so I, I'm not worried about the need for the, for the smaller niche, more specific proposition. In terms of how we go about our expansion it's a very organic conversation with territories sometimes it would be a broadcaster that it tends to be in partnership with a local distributor there whether it's a broadcaster or another VOD platform so it tends to be either a broadcaster we bought shows from they know us they like it they like they like what we've done for their shows and they go actually we'd like to enhance our own VOD streaming packages will you come and work with us so there's enormous flexibility because in the end what all we are really is this I hope sharply curated brand which is very very adaptable to any 
ecosystem. But uh, what seems to be working incredibly well for us, and even the states, you know, which in the beginning, I mean, there's no point in lying about it, it was quite challenging because when you're direct to consumer and you haven't got a giant multi-million dollar marketing budget, it, how do you get the eyeballs? You, we know the people that come to the service like it and stay and, and, and renew the subscription, but how do you get to more than the low-hanging fruit? And, and again, for us, BBS was really interesting in that sense because they had enormous amounts of eyeballs and reputation and they had muscle. And so partnering with them has brought us into many, many, many households who love and appreciate what we do. So I, I, as years have gone by, I've realized the crucial importance of a local partner that understands their market and how to get viewers. And here at Connext, there's uh, series being pitched and series being screened, but there's also a big focus on cinema and features. To what extent are those on your agenda as the kind of lines blur between those two formats? I, as a user, a consumer, I love it. I love independent cinema. I watch a lot of it. But I think it's not really going to happen, Nico, because, and I've been thinking about this for a long time, because in the end, because of the nature of our service and our business model, we live or die on the number of streams we get. And however brilliant an independent European film will only allow, for example, even in series, right? We acquire a six-part show, it's, if I'm honest, it's slightly less desirable than a 10-part show because we spend so much money and energy to drive people to the 12 that once they're in there, you need a long episodic run. Otherwise, the streams will not tally and the ROI will not make sense. So much as I would love to, I don't think film is something that we're going to be doing anytime soon. That's all we have time for on this week's podcast. But be sure to stay up to date with all the latest industry developments by following C21 online, on Twitter and on mobile. Thanks for listening.